Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to Red or Dead, a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about the world of mysteries and thrillers. This is episode four, and we're recording on Tuesday, July 18th. I'm Katie McLean, along with Rincey Abraham, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. Hi, Katie. Hi, Rincey. How are you? I'm good. How was your birthday and your uh, week off and all the reading? <laughs> well, I uh, ended up not getting to do as much reading as I would have liked because we kind of had an impromptu friend get together in the week, which of course is fantastic, but was not originally planned for. So, right. but it was it was relaxing. Um, it was great to be off of work for that long, and I did get I did get some good reading in. Um, it's never as much as you would like. It never is as much as you would like. like no. <laughs> Um, but it was, it was still a nice birthday gift to myself and I'm looking forward to next year. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, countdown begins. Yeah. That's like a really great idea. I never, like, I sometimes take like maybe a day off or so around my birthday, but taking like an entire week off sounds like fantastic. And just spending all that time reading is great idea. Yes. If you are, um, if you are privileged enough to have uh, the ability to take time off around your birthday, I highly recommend it. Two thumbs up from me. (laughs) All right. Uh, before we get started, uh, do you want to uh, do our first sponsor? Yes, I can do the first sponsor. Um, so the first sponsor for our podcast today, uh, we uh, talked about them last episode. Uh, it's Libby from Overdrive, um, which provides uh, ebooks and digital audiobooks to libraries. And Libby is the new app designed by Overdrive that was built with love for readers to discover and enjoy ebooks and audiobooks directly from your library. It was created by Overdrive but inspired by library users. Um, and it, the app is designed to get people reading as quickly and seamlessly as possible. So if you've ever, uh, you know, if you know your library offers ebooks and audiobooks, but you've never really looked into downloading them because it seems like it's too much of a pain in the butt, Libby takes care of all of that. It's a really, really easy download uh, download process. You can get up and running in just a few seconds. You can download it for free on your phone or tablet and rediscover the joy and wonderment of the public library. Um, so you can uh, talk to your talk to your library to see if they offer access to OverDrive, or head to meet.libbyapp. That's L-I-B-B-Y-A-P-P dot com for more information. All right. Uh, so for this episode, we have a couple of different things that we wanted to sort of cover or to talk about and have a little discussion about. Um, so the first thing we wanted to talk about is there was this really interesting article in the Wall Street Journal this week. Um There'll be a link to it in the show notes in case any of you guys are interested in checking it out yourself. Uh, But basically what they were talking about is how a lot of male authors are starting to use sort of like gender neutral pen names um, within the psychological thriller market. And so obviously they talked about how there's been like huge success with books like Gone Girl and Girl on the Train, et cetera, um, and how there are a significant portion of 
female readers who are looking for psychological thrillers that focus on women um, and that are often written by female authors because they find that uh Female authors obviously just or not obviously, but they tend to write female characters better uh, or more complexly or, you know, whatever. Um, And so men are realizing or male authors started to realize that that was happening. And so in order to kind of capitalize on that, I suppose, um, a lot of male authors are trying to use pseudonyms. And a lot of those pseudonyms are sort of like gender neutral. Um, And so the Wall Street Journal article just kind of talks a lot little bit about that and also how it sort of like flips the idea on the head because like previously female writers were known for using pseudonyms but that was mostly because men wouldn't pick up books by female writers in the past or you know you have people like George Eliot where like they might not have ever gotten published or even looked at because they were a woman or whatever so yeah we kind of wanted to talk a little bit about that because it's it's interesting because a lot of the big books, if you look at them that are coming out these days, uh, they do have gender neutral names. It is a thing that I've noticed because it's uh, as someone who I like track my reading and I have like little statistics. And so I keep track of things like the gender of the author and uh, the race of the author. So a lot of times I'll pick up a book and I'll be like, I have no idea, you know, if this is a man or a woman, I have no idea what, what ethnicity they might be. Uh, so I'll like flip to the back and I'm noticing like more and more of these psychological thrillers have these sort of gender neutral names so yeah it's been yeah (laughs) i i mean i'll just leave it at that for now katie i know you have some thoughts on this (laughs) yeah well for my last night when i first i think it was last night when i first saw the article someone posted it in the uh insider slack the book riot insider slack and i um because there's the wall street journal article and then jezebel posted a kind of a reactionary article towards it then i read the jezebel article and I, my initial reaction was, I have feelings about this, but I'm not entirely sure what they are yet. <laughs> um, so I was like, I have complex feelings, but I can't articulate them right now because my brain's unplugged. Um, but then uh, Jamie came to the rescue and she came and she she posted her thoughts in the Slack and I was reading all of her points and I was like, yep, that's it. That's exactly it. And it's one thing, like, I understand authors who want to write under a pseudonym. Like, it's not yes. it's not so much the practice of, you know, writing under a pseudonym that kind of, that rubs me the wrong way a little bit. And it's more that the, this idea that men feel like, like, oh, we've got to get in on this game that the, that the female writers have going on. Um, well, I guess there's two different perspectives, or there's two different... Um, approaches to it. It's either, hey, we've got to, uh, you know, we've got to get in on this game. Like, you know, the publishers are saying, hey, we need, we want to, you know, take, we want to take a portion of that money of this, of this publishing niche that's primarily, uh, that's primarily dominated by female authors. Um, But then there's also the idea that some of these male authors feel that their female characters won't be taken seriously if, you know, someone picks up a book knowing that it was written by a man. And, you know, part of me is like, well, shoes on the other foot now, isn't it? Yeah. Um, like, you know, that that it's men trying to get into a female-dominated area. Um, but Jamie also pointed out um, that this is a female-driven area because it's being marketed towards women, because the still there's still this driving idea that men do not want to read books 
with a female protagonist yeah. or that's written by a female author. Um, and so it's like, it's like the male authors are, or, or the publishers are trying, are trying to get the, get the male authors into this, you know, into this female driven area that they kind of created through their, through their own actions and marketing in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the other thing that, that kind of, that kind of, rub me the wrong way is that and again the they talked to a few different a few different authors um that have books coming out that either came out very recently or are coming out in the next few months and each one kind of had a different interpretation um or had a different response to the question of why they used a pseudonym um but it seems like it's like men are doing this because psychological suspense is the new trend and they want to get in on it you know it's kind of like they're putting on this gender neutral mask to get in on a trend yeah whereas women do it because in a lot of cases they can't be taken seriously otherwise right and that's that's kind of that's where there's a big disconnect for me that they're the men are doing this because it's it's the hot new thing and they want a piece of it the women, the women are, st- are still having to do this because their work still won't be taken seriously as women, or if if um, they're not taken as seriously as the male writers. So, I I don't have anything against any any of the specific books in particular. I want to make that very clear. Like I, yeah. um, they talked they talked about a few like um, Final Girls by Riley Sager that just came out that I've been meaning to read. The Woman in the Window by AJ Finn. I think that comes out next year. That's been getting a lot of press. They also talked about um, Before I Go to Sleep by S.J. Watson, um, which you know came out several years ago. Um, you know, it's nothing against these books in particular. It's just kind of the marketing idea behind it that I've that makes me a little itchy. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone would agree that like in an ideal world, like everyone would sort of be published on like a fair and even ground and every book could just be judged by like the contents of the book. But I think that the way these books are pushed onto people or the way like every I think that just because the trend right now is the new girl book like girl is in like the girl on the train or gone girl or whatever the you know final girls the girl before like all of these like <laughs> titles that they talk about have the word girl in it like that trend like that's the hot trend so right now public like part of me wonders like if a publisher is looking now to see if they're purposefully looking for books either by women or by people who they could market as gender neutral so you don't know if they're male um so like because part of it comes down to like what are the publishers pulling and what are the or like pulling from the slush piles you know like what are Mm -hmm. they deciding to pick up and put out there um like one thing i thought was really interesting was just um the author who um, I can't remember what his real name is, Todd something, who's Riley Saker. Um, he was ta- he's published other books, but they haven't been like very successful at all. And obviously, like it might partially be because they maybe they weren't very good books. I don't know. I haven't read them, but it could be possible that they are good books. But the publishers just didn't market them the same way that Final Girls get, has been getting marketing, you know, Um mm-hmm. So it's really difficult. Like I but I completely agree with everything you say. Like the reason why this feels icky to a certain degree is just because like it feels like more of a cash grab than mm-hmm. a sort of like they want to be judged on their own merits sort of thing, which is usually where how it's coming across from women. I mean, if you think about like the 
well-known female authors who have either changed their names or sort of hidden their names. You know, people like J.K. Rowling, who, mm-hmm. you know, like she didn't put Joe Rowling on the book because they knew like boys weren't would quote supposedly boys wouldn't want to be interested in Harry Potter, you know, if it said that. Um, yeah. But or I even think about her, you choosing the name like Robert Galbraith, you mm-hmm. know. And especially like thinking about like the types of mystery books that she writes, she writes these sort of like hard detect or not like straight detective novels. So part of me wonders like if these people l- were writing straight detective novels, I have a very strong feeling that they would have kept their own name while mm-hmm. writing those books. Um, I mean, unless like they were very well known for like literary fiction or something like that and they wanted to break apart from that. But I have a very strong feeling that they would have chosen a very strong male name or a male more male sounding name if they wrote something that was like more like a hard detective story or like um, an espionage story or something along those lines. You know, I think it's solely because it's this specific niche that niche that they uh, recognize female writers are getting the recognition right now. Yeah. And it's interesting that the that, you know, the psychological suspense has become a primarily uh, has become a market that is. Mar- or that is geared towards a female audience. I mean, part of it is, like you said, with the enormous number of titles that have the word girl in the title. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's, you know, how did that become that way? Is it because that a lot of the main characters are are female? Is it because the idea that these psychological suspense novels, because they deal with the inner workings of the mind, that that lends itself to... Uh, to primarily female characters because of this, you know, this cultural under this, this cultural perception of how women think, Um, you know, it's, there's a lot of really, you know, kind of interesting, but also odd gender things to kind of pull out here. Um, And it, I keep coming back to this, to this, line that doesn't I feel like it just kind of sums up sums up this whole thing um a few years ago I got to meet Gillian Flynn uh she was doing a book signing at Barnes and Noble in the city um and she was she was just a delight I loved her Mm -hmm. um but she had a line and I've seen her repeat this in interviews before where she was talking about um you know people asking her you know why do you, you know, why do you use, you know, a flawed female character? Or why do all of your books feature a very, very flawed female protagonist? And she's like, well, when male authors write very, very flawed male protagonists, they call those novels. (laughs) And, but just, you know, coming, there's this, you know, this double standard that, you know, that the, the idea of the, you know, the male author, that is, you know, that is that is the unspoken standard of the publishing industry, you know, this white male author. Yeah. And so anything outside of that has to be marketed differently or, you know, it's it's perceived as being as being different. So, I, yeah, it's there's there's a lot there's a lot to, to tease out. And I'm not I know I'm not doing it justice because it's like, you know, 930 at night and my brain has come unplugged from the day. So I do apologize if, you know, if I'm not if I don't seem to be giving this the the thoughtful treatment that it that it deserves. But I think, yeah, I think there's a lot to talk about here. Um, and yeah. it's just yeah, it's just something I've been noticing more in terms of like like what how publishers make the choices that they do in terms of what gets marketed and how. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely one of those things where it's like there's no single 
reasoning or single like person or thing that we can put the quote unquote blame on for stuff like this. Yeah. Um, it's one of those things where it's sort of that systematic, systematic uh, gender biases that we all have within us and we all sort of bring to the table um, whether we realize it or not Um, and it's sort of articles like this that bring that awareness whether I don't even think like the Wall Street Journal article or writer like meant this to uh, be a thing that would rile up a response because I think like the way the original article was written it was very much just like oh this is an interesting trend that's happening right now it wasn't it didn't really dig into um, the gender dynamics that are at play mm-hmm. which I thought was really interesting but I don't know maybe that's just what uh, I don't I didn't look to see like if it was a man or a woman who wrote the article so maybe that has something to do with it as well uh, it is a woman okay so uh, yeah I don't know like maybe she didn't care as much about that stuff or she just thought it was really interesting that this was happening um but yeah i think it's also just because uh like the stuff you were saying about this being a trend i think it's partially just because uh it's very difficult to find either like unlikable or difficult or uh female characters who have uh a darker side to them i feel like part of the fun of reading psychological thrillers like the ones that are really big lately is like it sort of allows readers to explore a side that sorry it allows female readers to explore a side that they might not necessarily be quote-unquote allowed to explore in other spaces um Mm -hmm. i also think of like you know romance novels you know like with romance novels like women are allowed to explore things that in society may be considered improper um and i think with psychological thrillers you're sort of allowed to do the same thing like you're sort of allowed to explore emotions and ideas and actions that otherwise you wouldn't be allowed to um and you don't really get to see that as much i mean it's starting to get more and more in like literary fiction and stuff like that but and you're starting to see it a little bit more in fantasy with more female leads and more female writers being allowed to uh write those books but uh yeah i think just right now it has a lot to do with women being interested in finding complex deep flawed characters in their books and so right now psychological thrillers are providing that yeah. Um, and the, and one of the other other thing to, things, too, that I touched on before is that, you know, these male authors are afraid that, you know, if, if readers know that a man wrote this book, but it features a female protagonist, that they wouldn't... Um, that they that they wouldn't take them as seriously or they would they wouldn't expect the female characters to be as authentic and on the one hand i was like okay i can see why that reaction would be on the other hand uh male writers you should be writing authentic female characters anyway because right? you're a writer um so if there's yeah if there if there are any uh uh male authors who are uh who are thinking oh i can't i can't uh i'm you know, I can't write authentic female characters. Well, I mean, we have fantasy writers that create entirely new worlds and stuff like that, but the but you know, female characters are out of their depth or out of their yeah. league. So, um, so th- that's that's another thing too. It's like you know, female writers are expected to do to create authentic characters, no matter their 
gender, species, uh, whatever it may, <laughs> whatever they may be writing. So, um, yeah, that that was that was an aspect that I kind of I was given a little bit of side eye, like mm, not. And again, not to say that any of the books featured that were mentioned in this article do not write authentic female characters. Not the case at all. Where I'm just talking in a general sense. <laughs> Yeah, there was one anecdote, which I'm sure everyone pulled. Is this the S.J. Watson one? Yeah, the <laughs> yeah, he's the one who put on, he like tried on bras. Yes. Well, I was like, oh, no, don't, don't do that. Yeah, um, <laughs> that, yeah I don't know that that's entirely necessary. <laughs> yeah, don't think so at all. I was, and also, this, well, I haven't read before I go to sleep, but I was like, how much are you talking about bras in your book? It says that he wrote about, like, he, he has multiple passages about bras. And I was like, bro, <laughs> do you need that many? <laughs> I honest, I have read it. It's been a few years. Um, I honestly don't remember it being a big thing. It's probably okay. just like a mention, like, you know, yeah. just like getting undressed at the end of the, the end of the evening. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm like, um... I'm, and I'm like, you know, the, the essence of a woman is not contained in a bra, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I appreciate the dedication to getting the details right, but that, that's, that's not where we, we keep our, you know, that's not where we keep our actual selves in our, in our bras. Um, I, I desperately want to make that the show title for this episode. <laughs> I keep coming up with the show titles unintentionally. Oh, man. Uh, anyways, I think that's a good note to end on with this discussion. Okay. So yeah, if you have thoughts, um, you know, take a look at the article, um, and yeah, let us let us know what you think. And I, as as a more serious closing note, um, I will use this as an opportunity to invite everyone to start. You know, really look whether it's mysteries or if it's something you know, fantasy or nonfiction, whatever it is that you read, start paying, start looking at what the uh, what the publishers are promoting. And, uh, you know, what is being left out? Don't I mean, look at what, what you have in front of you, but also ask what what they're not promoting. What isn't getting their attention? What what don't they think people would be interested in reading? Start start looking critically at what um, at what books are coming out and why. And uh, start to see some interesting things come up. Um, and then this is this would obviously be one of them. So that's just my two cents. <laughs> yeah. Also, I just wanted to say really quickly uh I'll have uh, we'll put links to both the Jezebel article as well as the Wall Street Journal article in the description. The Wall Street Journal article does require a subscription in order to read it. Uh, But I recently found out that if you have you can check with your local library to see if they provide like free access. Like I know I just literally just found this out because of this article uh, that if like with my library card, I can basically read the Wall Street Journal online for free, which is very exciting. Um, So yeah, if you don't have access and you have a library card, see if your library allows that as well, if you want to read the full article. Yeah. And the Jezebel article does does quote pretty liberally from it. So um, if you're not able to get access to it, you can get a very good sense of what the article is about just from reading the, um, the Jezebel article. All right. Um, so the next thing we wanted to cover was there's a lot of adaptations coming out. Um, there are a lot of like adaptation news that's happening. Um, we're not going to cover all of it. Originally, there were we had like six different like <laughs> adaptations that we were going to talk about. But there's a lot. Uh, yeah, there's so many. Uh, but we pared it down. Um, we're going to run through these relatively quickly. So that way this doesn't end up being too long of an episode. Um, the first one that I wanted to cover is that Amazon uh, picked up the U.S. rights for some Agatha Christie uh, series. Um, it's I think it's going to be like one series that 
Oh no, it's a three-part um, miniseries, um, and it's produced by I believe the same people who have done like BBC adaptations of Agatha Christie stories. Um, so I don't. Be- it's called or- Ordeal by Innocence, um, and I don't think that they have announced like which stories of hers they're going to be adapting. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited just because, uh, as we've talked about before, I love Agatha Christie. And I think like a lot of times her adaptations are really done well. Um, there was a recent one, uh, a recent and then they were done uh, done in the past like year or so. Uh, that was really, really well done. And it's the same production company that's doing this one as well. So I'm looking forward to that. And so if you have um, an Amazon Prime subscription, I'm assuming it's going to be on Amazon Prime. Um, you have that to look forward to in the near future. Um, and then the one that I was really excited about was the uh, first trailer for Mr. Mercedes was posted. Um, Mr. Mercedes is the the first in the um, the Bill Hodges trilogy by Stephen King. Um, Mr. Mercedes came out, I think, a few like. 2013, 14, something like that. Um, it's Mr. Mercedes, um, Finders Keepers, and then End of Watch. That all came out within like a year of each other. Um, and Mr. Mercedes is getting a TV adaptation. Um, it is on like a direct TV. It's on like a direct TV only channel or like it's like on, was it on AT&T? I, I cannot remember which which channel it's on. It's not on, you know, it's not like on, you know, NBC or something like that. Um, but the first trailer, uh, was released. Um, Brendan Gleeson is playing Bill Hodges, which I am all here for. Um, and Bill Hodges is the main character. He's a retired policeman. Um, and he's kind of, he's brought out of his retirement and his resulting, you know, extreme depression, um, by the, uh, by what was the, the guy who's dubbed the Mercedes killer or something like that. This, this man drove a Mercedes into a crowded, into like a, a, these people were waiting outside for, um, a job fair is set, you know, during an economic downturn and everyone's looking for, everyone's looking for a job. You've got women and children, families, all, you know, waiting outside at the crack of dawn to be, you know, to get into this job fair and hopefully find employment. And before the before it opens, he drives his Mercedes into the crowd and, you know, kills and injures n- numerous people. Um, and it, the crime was never solved. And then years later, when Bill Hodges, uh, he retires, he's depressed that he wasn't able to, you know, bring this killer to justice. And then new information starts coming out and he's kind of back on the case. Um, so I'm really excited for the TV show, however I'm able to watch it. Um, also, if you have not yet read the book, um, I give it two thumbs up. I mean, it's Stephen King. It's It has horrific moments in it, but it's definitely not horror. It is just pure suspense, pure good old mystery suspense thriller. It's, it's one of those books where in the last hundred pages, you would have needed a crowbar to pry that book out of my hands. I was up so late past my bedtime reading this book. Um, have not yet gotten to the other two books in the trilogy. I do apologize to Stephen King for that. Um, but <laughs> Mr. Mercedes is fantastic. So if you've read the book, check out the trailer. If you've done neither, read the, uh, check out the trailer and then read the book. 
Yeah, yeah, I will admit I haven't read it the book yet, but I did watch the trailer and it kind of made me want to read the book. So it's it's great. Like I said, just it's just pure suspense. And yeah. it's oh, my gosh, it's so good. Yeah, I'm always like because, again, I'm a big baby. Uh, so <laughs> Stephen King's one of those authors where like I know he doesn't write just horror books but i'm always scared to pick up his books because i never know which ones are the ones that are full-on horror and which ones aren't so i know now i know that mr mercedes isn't like full-on horror yeah no this is it's it's definitely it has some some dark moments in it but it is it is pure mystery suspense all right um and then the final adaptation that we wanted to talk about um is sort of one that's uh, slightly still in the rumor stages. Uh, supposedly, Quentin Tarantino's next film is going to be uh, about the Manson family murders. Um, he has apparently already like written the screenplay, and he's working on um, setting up like casting and all of that stuff. But none of it has been like officially confirmed just yet. Uh, but it is interesting. I mean, again, we don't know like how this is going to happen, like how close to truth or not that this is going to be because quentin tarantino is obviously known for uh right making movies that aren't really like based fully in the real world um there's usually something slightly like different or i don't want to say fantastical but like there's always something like slightly off in his movies in like a good way but like they're not like fully straight on facts so i mean i know katie that you are sort of i don't want to say a fan of the manson (laughs) murders but like you're very intrigued by the stories and stuff like that so yeah so yeah this was this was an announcement that i was like huh because quentin tarantino i know he can be um i know there are a lot of people that consider him to be a very problematic director with some of his directing choices so i understand that this may be a very you know controversial uh choice for for something like this um i've i haven't seen all of his movies i've seen a few um and i kind of have to be in the right mood to watch a quentin tarantino movie and that usually means like i've had a couple glasses of wine and i'm like okay let's do this um so i was i was not i will i'm reserving judgment until i find out more about what the movie is like i think he could do a really interesting like a straight up just kind of you know, re- not a not a necessarily a reenactment, but look focusing primarily on the murders mm-hmm. without throwing in a, a bunch of you know odd time you know storyline flashbacks and stuff like that. I think he could do a really really interesting movie because the the murders are you know they're they're bizarre enough on their own. They don't really need need any extra help. Yeah. Um, so. I'm yeah, I'm interested to see how he plays this. Um, there is also, I think, the question of um they said, you know, will this focus mainly primarily on the murders, or will it be like a backdrop for other for other entwining storylines, which seems much more uh, uh seems much more uh related to his previous movies and how and yeah. how he directs those. So like I said, I will be interested to see you know what he does um i also with true crime i think it's also it's like true crime is fascinating to me but i feel like it has to be if you're doing an, a movie adaptation you have to give it the respect that it deserves because you're dealing with real people and real situations like i don't want to see something that's super sensationalized mm-hmm. or you know just like over the top ridiculous like i i i can 
I'm a little bit pickier when it comes to true crime. But like you said, I I am weirdly fascinated with the Manson murders. <laughs> like if anyone's read Helter Skelter by Vincent Bugliosi, um, I think you I think you know where I'm coming from. That that book was that book was it was a great read, but bizarre. Um, so yeah, like I said, I'll I'll reserve judgment, but I am I am intrigued. Yeah, I think it's uh, I, it could go either way because like like you were saying, he could just use this as a backdrop for something else which i could definitely see like a tarantino movie like that part of me also wonders if he could pull uh, like a ryan kelly like ryan kelly is known for like really out there things like glee was a little bit out there american horror story was like is like way out there but then he also did like the oj simpson um miniseries which was like fantastic um Mm -hmm. and was pretty like straight ahead so like uh, part of me is wondering if like Tarantino could do that potentially and like rein himself in a little bit um, and do a slightly more straight ahead movie, which, yeah. you know, is possible. So, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, one of the things we wanted to talk about just to sort of like tie into it uh, was to talk about some tr- true crime recommendations that we have. Um, obviously, the Manson murders are something that's been covered relatively a lot in pop culture history uh in terms of adaptations or not adaptations but like they're pretty well known so we thought we would talk about some um true crime recommendations and maybe talk about some things that you don't quite know about all right um let's see do we want to do one or two recs recommendations Um, let's just do one each Okay. I'm very sorry, listeners. We, we've we got so many true crime recommendations. Yeah. I <laughs> and, mean, and a time limit to our podcast. Again, we'll probably do an entire episode about true crime at some point because we could, all of these are topics that we could probably talk about forever. Yeah. Um, okay. So the one that I am going to talk about is actually one that I am A, currently reading, so I have not yet finished it, and B, it does not come out till October. So I do apologize for that. <laughs> Um, but it's called Black Dahlia, Red Rose, The Crime, Corruption, and Cover-Up of America's Greatest Unsolved Murder by Pew Eatwell. Um, she, and I, I don't have the exact title, but she wrote a book a year or two ago, something about like the dead duke and the missing corpse or something like oh, that. Oh, yeah. It had the, the just the greatest title. Um, so if you've read that book, this is the same author. Um, and as the title uh, indicates, it's about the Black Dahlia murder in 1947 in Los Angeles, um, which up until this point has pretty much been unsolved. Um, It was the murder of uh, a young woman named Elizabeth Short, who is in her early 20s. And she was kind of found on this, you know, this grassy public area. Um, Her her naked body was completely mutilated. You know, she had on her she her she had a gash across her face her entire body was cut in half and kind of displayed people said it looked like a um like a department store mannequin um yeah the um if if you are interested um if you google some of the photos which may which may be crossing the line into you know sensationalism but they do have the old photos from from when she was when she was discovered and it's it's shocking. Like even in 1947 where you, I don't know, I, for me, I feel like everything kind of gets washed out by 1947. You know, it's just kind of like, Oh, that was a long time ago. This is really shocking. Mm -hmm. Um, but the cool thing with this book is that even though they were never able to, you know, figure out who did it, uh, recently there have been, uh, like, un, uh, unredacted files that have been 
or files that have been unredacted, like by the FBI, files that have been released by the LAPD, and the author gets access to these documents, and so she's able to put together, you know, a pretty convincing picture of of who committed the murder. Um, so I, like I said, I'm still reading it, have not gotten to that point yet. They're still kind of examining the body. I'm still pretty early on into it, but um, I, I love a good, uh, a good uh, cold case. Um, and the Black Dahlia murder is one that is, has always had a very bizarre, macabre fascination for me. Um, so again, that's uh, Black Dahlia Red Rose by Pew Eatwell. And that book is coming out on October 10th of this year from Live Right. Okay, so the one I'm going to talk about is a backlist book. And it's one that was already made into a movie, but I love it. And I also feel like it's it it doesn't quite get its due. Like, I feel like it got forgotten about um, at this point. And it's Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil uh, by John Burnt. I don't know how to say his last name. Yeah, it's um, like Burnt or Barrent or something like some, that. Yeah, something along those lines. Uh, so this is a, so like I said, it was made into a movie uh, starring John Cusack. And I think it was like directed, uh, it was John Cusack and Kevin Spacey. Um, and it was directed by Clint Eastwood. It's a really fantastic adaptation. Uh, but the book is great as well. Uh, basically, it takes place in Savannah, Georgia, for the most part. Um, there, it basically like looks at sort of the seedy underside of Savannah, Georgia, because um, I mean, I don't know, maybe this is just me being a northerner. But when you think of the South, you think of things being like relatively hospitable. Um, and John Burnt, I believe, is from like New York or something along those lines. And so he goes down to Savannah, Georgia to look into um, this male prostitute who was killed by a socialite. Um, and I don't think that this and I don't think the socialite like was charged for the murder uh, because he, you know, is this person who has like relative power within the town. Um, and yeah, it's just, a, it's a really, really interesting book. It's one of those books where it's like, if you liked like Truman Capote's like in cold blood, like this is definitely one that has belongs to that same lineage. Um, there's so many like eccentric personalities that are covered in here. Um, and it just talks about sort of this other side of this Southern hospitality sort of ideal that happens in this town. Um, yeah, it's just really, really well done. And the adaptation, the movie is actually really well done as well. Like it follows the book relatively closely. Um, and yeah, I think it's just one of those that like, again, obviously it's gotten some acclaim and such because it was made into a movie and whatnot but i feel like it's one of those that's sort of like losing steam like since it was made i think the movie was made maybe like 20 years ago at this point um you know yeah, it's sort it of might be. yeah it, so i think it's like fallen off the radar a little bit so that's the only reason why i wanted to bring it up even though it is slightly known but i also just think john Byrne does a great job of sort of like exploring this town and exploring these people um and just showing the complexities within a city like Savannah. Um, he has another one that he wrote that covers, um, I think it's Sicily in Italy. Um, and that one was also really well done, but Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil is definitely like the crown jewel of his work. Yeah, I read that one a few years ago and yeah, I loved it. It's like true crime mixed with travelogue yeah. mixed with character study. Like the characters are fabulous mm -hmm. if you if you enjoy reading books with really interesting characters and have not yet read this book it's 
it's so interesting and you just kind of lose lose yourself like it feels like you really are you know you know deep in deep in savannah georgia and yeah like like you just kind of like want to read this book with like a glass of sweet tea next to you <laughs> yeah that's exactly it like it really fe- like he transports you down to savannah like i feel like if i visited the city i would be able to like picture it perfectly within uh, what had happened in the book. So yeah, definitely recommend it. All right. You want to do our second sponsor? All right. Um, our s- second sponsor is also the same one that we had last week. Blackstone Publishing is back uh, sponsoring this episode. Um, and so same as it was last week, they have brought three books to our attention that they want to highlight. Um, the first one is Feta Morgana by Stephen R. Boyette and Ken Mitroni. Um, the second one is False Flag by John Altman. And then the final one is Where Dead Men Meet by Mark Mills. Um, So these three books are, again, perfect summer reads. They cover three different genres, a political thriller, a historical thriller, and science fiction with a World War II twist. Uh, So... And the, again, these are all from Blackstone Publishing, which is a new print and ebook venture from Blackstone Audio, which is the largest independent audiobook publisher in the United States. And they are currently celebrating their 30th anniversary. Um, so, yeah, these are high caliber original works that will fit right into the longer, hotter days of the summer of 2017. So if any of those sound interesting or if you're looking for a good summer read, um, looking for something fast paced that will keep your attention, definitely check out any of those three books. All right. And then I think that'll that'll take us into the new releases. Yeah. Uh, So tell us what's coming up. Um, There are a lot of really great books coming out to the surprise of no one because there are always (laughs) great books coming out. All right. So the first one that I want to highlight is a new Ruth Ware book. Um, This one is coming out on July 25th, 2017. So it should be this Tuesday as of when you guys are hearing this episode. Uh, This one is called The Lying Game. And in this uh, book, basically, this woman, the it starts off with a woman walking her dog and the dog sort of like runs into the water to retrieve what looks like to be a stick. But then it turns out to be something worse. The synopsis doesn't say what the worst thing is, but I'm assuming a body <laughs> uh, or a part of a body. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, but the story really focuses on these three women named Fatima, Thea, and Isabel. Um, they have been really close friends since school, and they all receive a text message from a fourth former friend of theirs named Kate that says, I need you. Um, so these girls were all, like I said, friends. They went to a boarding school on the English Channel, and they came up with this thing called the Lying Game, where basically uh, the rules were that they never lie to each other, but they tell lies to like other students at the boarding school or faculty members or people visiting along those lines. Um, And they basically sort of try to like outlie each other almost. Um, But then the other rule of the game is that they always bail once it's uh, obvious that they're about to get found out. Um, But then I guess something goes wrong with the game, uh, which obviously, again, they aren't don't say exactly what. And one of the teachers ends up dead. Um, So now it's like fast forwarded to, you know, when they're adults and the three of them are still friends, but one of them isn't. And so it's about, you know, what has happened with this teacher and what's happening now in their lives. So again, that is The Lying Game by Ruth Ware, and that comes out on July 25th. 
The next one um, also comes out on July 25th, and it's The Lost Ones by Sheena Kamal. I believe that this one is a debut novel. Um, it takes place in Canada. Sheena Kamal um, lives in Canada as well. Um, you are following this woman named Nora Watts. Uh, 15 years ago, she had a daughter and she didn't want her. So she gave her up for adoption. Um, and so 15 years later, uh, she gets a phone call from the adoptive parents and the daughter that she gave away has run away um, and they don't know where she is. And so they decided to reach out to Nora to try to see if she can help uh, find her. So she basically heads out with her dog uh, to try to find uh, where uh, her adoptive daughter or her biological daughter went, um, despite the fact that uh, she doesn't have any contact with her and she never really wanted her in the first place. So I believe that this one is part family drama and part like mystery thriller trying to figure out what exactly happened to this girl. Um, So again, that is The Lost Ones by Sheena Kamal and it comes out on July 25th. All right. And then I have Yesterday by Felicia Yap. This one comes out on August 1st. Um, so that'll be the following Tuesday. Um, this one sounds really interesting because it's like kind of part science fiction-y, part uh, thriller. Um, so in this book, there are two classes of people. There are the manos who can only remember one day's worth of stuff. Um, and then there are the duos who are considered a uh, more elite class of people and they can basically remember two days worth of stuff. Um, and so they are considered like separate classes of society, but you are following uh, these two uh, characters named Claire and Mark. Claire is a mono and she's a housewife. And then there's Mark who is a duo who is a novelist turned politician. And they're sort of like seen as this like prime example of, Uh, tolerance and equality Uh, but then one day this woman is found um, in an English river and it turns out that this woman is actually the mistress of Mark um, and he is now like the prime suspect for the murder so um, yeah it's basically investigating this murder and trying to figure out uh, you know who is remembering because they have like these limited memories it's sort of like putting together the puzzle pieces and seeing like what exactly is the truth and how to sort of learn the truth in this world where people don't necessarily remember things anymore so again that is yesterday by felicia yap and that comes out on august 1st and then the final book that i wanted to highlight is the blinds by adam sternberg uh again this one comes out on august 1st as well uh Adam Sternberg, I know him because I follow him like on Twitter and stuff because he writes for, I think it's New York Magazine. Um, He writes some really great articles for them. And so he uh, came out with a mystery book a couple of years ago called Shovel Ready. It was um, Edgar nominated. Um, It was like really well acclaimed by people in the mystery world. So if you read that one, um, he has a new one coming out called The Blinds. This one also has like a really interesting premise to it. Um, It's this place called The Blinds, which is basically a rural town in Texas. Um, And it's populated by criminals who have had their memories altered um, and given new identities and sort of second chances. And so all these people live in this town and they don't know exactly why they're there. They think that they've seen something happen. Um, They don't realize that they're the ones who actually did the thing because their memories have been altered. Um, And they also know that they're not allowed to leave this town. Otherwise, bad things will happen to them. Um, So yeah, you're following this sheriff named Calvin Cooper, who has basically like kept this 
peace in this town. But then one day, one of the citizens ends up um, dead. I believe that they uh, he or she may have committed suicide and things sort of um, escalate from there. So, again, that's The Blinds by Adam Sternberg. And that comes out on August 1st. All right. Um, so I am... I actually, I am really excited to talk about what I just finished reading. <laughs> I liked this book. I mean, I knew I would like this book, but I liked it way more than I expected to. Um, I just finished listening to um, The Girls of Murder City, Fame, Lust, and the Beautiful Killers Who Inspired Chicago by Douglas Perry. Um, I have, I guess I've just been on a really, you know, been on a big historical crime kick. Um, but this is a nonfiction book about the two women um, kept in the uh, in the Cook County Jail who, and their crimes and their trials ultimately formed the basis of the Broadway musical Chicago, which is like my, I mean, I'm not a big Broadway connoisseur. I love Chicago. <laughs> I love the, I love the show. I love the movie. I just love it. Um, so I'm kind of surprised it took me this long to, to read it, but it goes through the two. Um, it, it follows the the two women uh, who ultimately formed the characters of uh, Velma Kelly and Roxy Hart. The their real names were, uh, shoot, I don't. It, it, uh, one was Belva and one was Beulah. Um, so when you're listening to it on audio, it's sometimes a little hard to keep track of who's who. Um, <laughs> but it goes through their, you know, their crimes and, you know, uh, Belva, she, you know, she, um, shot her, or, uh, they've said that she allegedly shot her lover in, um, while they were seated together in a car. She can't remember anything, of course. Um, and then Beulah, she, um, she killed, uh, she killed her lover, um, and both of these women were married to other men at the time. Um, she she killed her lover in her um, in her apartment um, after they they fought over something, um, and and she kind of became the star of the of the Cook County Jail, um, where all of these other uh, women, uh, these other uh, murderesses, as they refer to them, where these other women were kept, and it kind of, it goes through the crimes of you know each um, each person, but it also really really focuses on how these crimes were reported, um, how these crimes were tried, and how juries were really unwilling to convict women of murder, especially if they were beautiful, mm-hmm. and so it really like. All of the themes from from if you've seen the show or the movie about, you know, murder is entertainment or, you know, how, you know, a beautiful woman can sway the jury's sympathies. Um, it's all, you know, this all really happened. Um, and it also focuses a lot on uh, the woman who um, the woman who covered a lot of the a lot of the trials in the Chicago Tribune. I think, um, and I really should have written all these names down. Um, but I think her her name was Maureen something, and she actually ultimately wrote the play Chicago that became that became the Broadway show. Um, and it's what was so interesting is just how many you know, how much she took from the real life trials and put into the play and how much of that made it into the Broadway musical. Like, um, 
the uh, Beulah, who her, she ultimately became Roxy Hart in the play, um, she there uh, her defense was centered around the idea of there was a gun on the bed, and she and her lover both reached for the gun at the same time. And so, if you've seen the musical, you now have the song the we both both reach for the gun going through your heads. Um, <laughs> but it was just it was so interesting to you know to hear about this, especially you know being from Chicago. It I I really really love. Love, especially nonfiction about historical Chicago. I just think it's so interesting. Um, and then after I read the book, I, you know, I, I put, I put on Netflix, had Chicago on the background, was listening to the soundtrack, and so I think my boyfriend's been hearing a lot of a lot of the Chicago soundtrack the last the last couple of days. Um, but I really loved it. Um, and so if you're interested in historical true crime, um, if you like Chicago, if you like any of the things that I talked about, the girls from Girls of Murder. City is really, really interesting. Um, and it's a short read, just really lots of really interesting information in there. Um, and then I've, uh, I'm picking up the, uh, I'm currently listening to The Pale Blue Eye by Louis Bayard, who, which is another historical mystery, uh, takes place at West Point where a, uh, where a cadet has been, uh, they believe a cadet has committed suicide, but then his body was stolen and rich and ritualistically, uh, mutilated, and so they're thinking that something else might be going on. Um, so, you know, sounds interesting enough, but the main character of the book enlists help from a young uh, cadet who goes, uh, who you may recognize, uh, he goes by the name Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> Mm. So, so the main character has a young Edgar Allan Poe as his kind of detective sidekick as they try to figure out what happened. Um, it's very, very interesting read so far. Um, and then uh, I have The Unquiet Dead by Ozma Zahanek Khan uh, sitting on my to-read list, uh, which I have not yet picked up, um, but I know it's her uh, debut mystery, and I know it... Um, it deals with a murder that ends up uh, that uh, ends up falling into the lap of the um, of this department that uh, handles minority sensitive cases, and they find out that the man who was murdered may have been a war criminal from years past. And so, there's a lot of really interesting, complex things going on with that too. So, that is that is going to be. I'm going to pick that up as soon as I can. Yeah, I read The Unquiet Dead and I loved it. I love her mystery book so much. She's coming out with another book this fall, but it's a fantasy book, which I'm fine with. But I was also just kind of like, oh, I want another mystery book from you. <laughs> but the third one in the series just came out like in February, January or February, too. So I shouldn't expect it another one so soon. <laughs> um, but yeah, The Unquiet Dead is, fan is fantastic. I can recommend it for sure. Awesome. All right. Um, so I read none of the books that I said I was going to read last week because <laughs> a bunch of library books came in for me. Uh, so I got really excited and I started reading those instead. And so the one that I finished was The Fact of a Body by Alexandria Marzano Lesnovich. Um, you read this one, right? Yes, I just fin I just finished it a few days ago and I, I, I finished it late at night and I was just like, I have lots of feelings. Yeah, man, this book was intense. Like, I didn't realize how uh, memoir heavy it was going to be. So I should probably explain what it is just in case you haven't heard. It's a relatively new release. Um, this is nonfiction. And so Alexandria Marzano-Lesnovich uh, 
worked or went to law school and ended up working for this uh, law firm in Louisiana, um, co- basically uh, defending people who are currently on death row. Um, and it turns out that one of the people that she has to uh, one of the cases that she comes across is for like a pedophile who's on death row. Um, and it turns out that um, the author herself was like abused as a child. So it brings up like a lot of obviously difficulties and you know memories and such for her and so she gets really like obsessed with this um case because it reminds her a lot of uh the stuff that she went through as a kid um so yeah it sort of goes back and forth between like two uh storylines almost uh you're following uh ricky who is the murderer in this case and so you're finding out a lot about his life his family um as well as the kid and who was murdered and their family and such. And then you're also following um, what's what feels sort of more like a memoir side, um, seeing what has happened in Alexandria's life um, and sort of like how everything sort of like comes to a head. Um, yeah, it was, I think honest, like I was expecting, you know, some of the murder side of this to be like really difficult to read, but I actually found that it was like the memoir side that was the most difficult to read. She's very uh, honest and, open and about like everything that she's gone through in a way that is like really at least for me was really difficult to read about at points mm-hmm. um and yeah it, it, but it's so so well written mm-hmm. um but if you have like any sort of like sensitivities like i know there are people out there who don't like reading things about like bad stuff that happens to kids don't yeah, read this book don't at read all this book. don't read no, this don't. book yeah we will we will give that if any of this you know if trigger warnings you know yeah. uh danger to children pedophilia um you know like, sexual assault yeah all of that stuff it's yeah. very openly discussed in this book so if that is like at all um you know, difficult for you to read about, then don't pick up this book. But um, I do think that this book does a really great job of um, exploring sort of like the effects of stuff like that. Um, So that's why I think it's like also really good book to pick up. And yeah, it it was, yeah, it's just so, so well done. Mm -hmm. Uh, So again, that's uh, The Fact of a Body by Alexandria Marzano Lesnovich. Um, And then in terms of what I'm currently reading, um, I just started A Rising Man by Abir Mukherjee. Um, This, I believe, is also a new release, or I think it just came out in the United States this year. I think it was previously, or like published a year or so ago in uh, the United Kingdom. Um, This one is a historical mystery. Um, It takes place in 1919 in Calcutta, India. Now, I've literally just started this, so I can't say too much about the plot, Um, but you are uh, following this detective who has uh, come to India from Scotland, from the Scotland Yard. So he's coming from England. Um, And if you aren't aware, there are like tensions between the Brits and the Indians during this time. It's like, you know, they have just sort of like. Uh, you know, British had like their rule over India for a significant portion of time. And so like in the first couple of chapters alone, they've already started exploring that sort of like tension between uh, this British detective and the Indian detectives that he's working with. And even just like the people that he's um, having to interview and stuff like that, which I find to be really, really interesting. I wasn't expecting them to be like quite so direct um, about that stuff, but he is, uh, which I really appreciate. And also, I think that even just like in the first couple of chapters, like you don't have to know, have to know anything about um, the British rule in India. They're providing 
enough context for the reader in the book, which is something that I really appreciate. Um, so yeah, this that's the one I'm currently reading. After that, I will probably pick up either Finer, Final Girls or American Fire, which are the two books I talked about in last week's episode, uh, because I own them. So I need to, re- I will read them at some point. Uh, so I'm assuming that'll happen soon. <laughs> but other than that, I'm not really sure exactly uh, what I'll be picking up. Oh, so many books to read in so little time. <laughs> I know, right? Like, really, it's it's funny because a lot of the comments that we get for the show are like, oh, man, you guys are killing my TBR. Again, We our TBRs are groaning under the weight of all these books as well. <laughs> oh, I don't even want to think about it, how long I'll have to live if, 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 I'm, if I have a chance of reading all of them. That's <sighs> okay. It may, it's, it sure is that uh, we'll always have something to read, though. That is true. We will never run out of stuff to read. <laughs> all right uh so yeah that's our show for this week uh thanks so much to everyone for listening uh feel free to like contact us if you guys have any thoughts about uh the article that we talked about earlier or if you want to you know talk about true crime with us we're always here for that as well um if you like this episode or you like this show uh definitely leave us a review on apple Podcasts so that way you know other people can discover our podcast it'll get it's more likely to get uh featured uh the more reviews that a podcast has um if you uh, want, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. I am at Rincey A. And you can find me on Twitter at KT underscore library lady. And also, if you want uh, any of the links that we talked about, the links to those articles, you can find that over on the Book Riot po- uh, podcast website. Uh, it's bookriot.com slash listen. And then you'll see the Red or Dead uh, section. And you can check out the episode there with all of the links to all of the articles. Um, so, yeah. That's all we have for this episode, and we'll talk to you guys in a couple of weeks. Great. Right.